Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon. I have attached the link on the website. So if you just visit the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, you can then find the Patreon link there. In this week's episode, I speak to Pam and she talks me through her five pregnancies and three births. I just want to highlight that we do speak about loss. So Pam lost her little girl Rosie at 18 weeks gestation. Um, we go into a lot of detail about, about Rosie's birth. So if you would prefer not to listen or you're not in a place that you can, I have pop, popped a little prompt in at about the 40 minute mark as that's where we enter into Rosie's story. Pam also chats about her the birth of her two little boys, Hugo and Riley. She also speaks about postnatal depression that she suffered with after her first experience of birth. And she talks about her two breastfeeding journeys. Again, completely different. So I would love to thank you, Pam. Thank you for sharing so much um, purely for the benefit of others. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. I will also link a few charities on the website page that support women and families that have experienced loss, as I know, um, unfortunately, a lot of us need to avail of it. So enjoy and chat to you soon. So Pamela, you're very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. If you want to just start by giving us a little introduction to you and your family. Okay, thank you, Cora. Um, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to come on and share. Um, I'm Pamela Davis. I... I'm a mum to Hugo and Riley, and I lost a little girl recently. Um, she, I was 18 weeks pregnant and I lost her, so that was pretty awful. Um, I teach pre and postnatal Pilates, um, as not as my day job. I work in orthopedic sales for my day for my day job. Very busy. Very busy, but that's okay. <laughs> and is Pilates a passion? Yeah, I absolutely love yeah. it. And with mums, I adore you know, teaching mums and being on that journey with them through pregnancy and beyond. Very lucky. So do you want to just talk us through your first pregnancy? Yeah. So um, Hugo is my eldest boy and he is eight now. So we've tried for a baby for two and a half years. And then um, I had gone to see a couple of different people. I had a fibroid, a huge fibroid, which I had removed before I could get pregnant with him because it was 12 pounds. So there was no room left in my belly for anything else. Okay. Um, 
I had that removed with Dr. Rishi in the Rotunda, who is, you know, has been my obstetrician since. He's absolutely wonderful. And that was a big surgery. So I have a, an incision from my belly button down to my pubic bone to remove it. And then three months later, I got pregnant after two and a half years of crying. Yeah, so that was, you know, pretty much all that was in the way. Um, and I had hyperemesis in Hugo. I was really sick all the way through. There was about two weeks where I had a little bit of a lull. Um, but after that, I picked back up again and I was so sick every day. I was in hospital for, you know, a drip and on and off for the entire time. Um, so yeah, that was, pregnancy was difficult for me. Um, but I was delighted to be pregnant at the same time. Um, and how did you uh, work through that? Did you, did you continue to work or try to? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, as much as I could, like, oftentimes you know if, if I'm scrubbed in theatre there was many times I was scrubbed in theatre and I had to leave to get sick into my mask <laughs> it was awful yeah oh gosh <laughs> and my husband got me a massive ziplock bag, bag of ziplock bag for my Christmas present that year <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't have to pull over on the side of the road or have a leak yeah it's pretty awful and I tried everything to try and ease it but look I was on caravan and I had acupuncture and, you know, tried the wristbands, ginger, like, you know, everything that anyone suggested, I gave it a try, but it didn't really work. Yeah, so I lost a good bit of weight as well. Um, I didn't put on weight until I was 26 weeks pregnant. So when did that subside and you started to feel a little bit normal? Not on the day I delivered him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, all the way through. And the same with Riley, actually, um, all the way through. Um, and so I was 40 plus three when I... My, when my waters broke I was due in for an appointment um, but everything else was fine throughout pregnancy you know I had no other difficulties whatsoever so I was very grateful for that I had a little bit of pelvic girdle pain but not too much on him it wasn't so bad um so yeah I got to I was 40 plus three and I was due in to see my consultant and the day before I went in I noticed a trickle of waters so you know like a small amount of fluid I wasn't sure if it was amniotic or not I didn't know I just thought okay well maybe I'm just leaking weak <laughs> hopefully not but you know so I went in anyway to my appointment the next day and he was like yeah absolutely your orders are broken and they've been gone like when did you first notice that and it was probably 24 hours before that so he said okay we'll keep you in tonight if that's okay and we'll see if anything happens he gave me a sweep he didn't give me a sweep he asked me if I wanted to sweep and I opted for it. but I'd had actually I'd had three previous sweeps you know in the run up to that um but none of them worked for me and I tried everything under the sun to try and get baby to come out you know all of the natural remedies I tried castor oil I tried everything. oh you did the castor oil but oh, I couldn't I did yeah it didn't work I, yeah, I did a little I wasn't that bad it was a little I had a little bit of diarrhea but not bad at all um, but it was all, like it doesn't taste particularly nice but yeah it didn't it didn't budge him but that isn't supposed to work until after 40 weeks I just got a bit excited because they said baby was big but he was like you know baby's big but your body can do it you'll be fine I was like oh right. there was no talk of induction until my waters had broken and then um so I stayed in overnight and absolutely nothing no contractions no nothing I was bouncing on my ball let's say for half the night and the next morning then I went down for induction um, and went straight into the labour and delivery room and they induced me in there. Um, so my, yeah, so I got in induced and I was okay for most of it. You know, I had my tent with me, so I was dealing with the pains pretty well and I didn't want any form of 
um, pain relief if I could avoid it. You know, I went in thinking that I would prefer to avoid the epidural if I could. Um, so I did well with, you know, bouncing on the ball, the tens, squatting, doing everything. But it was kind of difficult because I had the CTG monitor on me. So, But the nurses were amazing. The midwives were amazing, holding it on in different positions for me so that I could move. And I had to go to the toilet so many times. I can't actually remember the amount of times. I All I wanted to do all day was wee and poo. So um, I went, so I got to seven centimeters and my contractions were six minutes long and 45 seconds. Oh break. God, you must have been exhausted. Yeah, it kind of built up throughout the day, you know, it got longer and longer and I was finding them harder and harder to deal with. So I got some gas and air and that kind of got me to there. And then I was like, I don't care what I said. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, I had in my birth preferences, I prefer to avoid the epidural. I would like to talk to my partner about the, you know, about getting pain relief, just so that he could say, are you sure? Yeah. You know, you said you didn't want that. So I said, um, yeah, I want the epidural. And they were like, OK, it says here that you want to talk to your partner about it. And he was sitting. Oh, he was like, I never forget it. I looked across the room and he's sitting back in the chair with his legs up on the ball, kind of bouncing. Yeah. And I was like, does he feel like he's in pain? Get <laughs> the epidural now. <laughs> So it took a good few contractions for to, them to get it in because my breaks were so short in between. Um, but I was high as a kite on gas and air as well. Like it really goes to my head. I was some of the things that I said to the anaesthetist. I, and I came back to bite me in the bum as well because I work with or in, with some orthopedic surgeons who she worked with. Right. And I was saying like, do you know? And she goes, yeah. And I was like, freak. <laughs> and my husband was like, stop. Say to stop talking. I was like, okay. Hopefully there's no orthopedic surgeons listening to this, but if they do, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so that was really entertaining. And I heard a couple of weeks later at a conference that somebody had a, you know, an anaesthetist had a patient who knew orthopedic surgeons. That was me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the epidural and it, uh, so because I had the surgery previously, he said, the consultant was like, I don't want you to be completely numb because if anything, he's like, I want you to feel still in case you feel anything abnormal. Right. Because I had the fibroid removed from my uterus, you know, there was only a three centimeter attachment to my uterus. The rest of it was all attached, scarred down to my bells. It took him five and a half hours to take it out. But because of that, he was like, you know, kind of going, okay, yeah, you can get the epidural, but I don't want you to get, you know, so that you're completely you can't feel anything. And I was like, okay, fine. So I was fine. It just took the edge off. I could still feel the contractions every time that they came. I just didn't have any pain, which was good. It was really good actually, because I knew when I was contracting without having to look at the monitor or whatever. So I was fine. I was seven centimeters when I got that. And then it probably took another maybe four hours until I was fully dilated. And then they gave me some time to, you know, for baby to come down before I started to push. So I started to push and I, you know, I, I wasn't having much luck with him coming out. Um, I wanted to push on my, you know, I didn't want to be on my back, but that was the only position I could be in for me with the epidural. So I, kept, I moved from side to side, you know, before I, before I was pushing, I was moving from side to side on the bed. I was trying my best to stay as mobile as I could in the bed that I was allowed to do. And they were really good. Actually, they facilitated that. Um, so then when it came to pushing, I asked, could I get on all fours? And they were like, no, <laughs> you 
you've had an epidural, you can't get an off horse. And I was like, okay, fine. So I lay on my side. Um, and he, he, so I was pushing for 52 minutes, I think, and baby started to get into stress. He was, he was coming out, but going back in and wouldn't come any further. So um, as my consultant watched, I started to tear towards my back passage. So he asked if it was okay if he gave me an episiotomy and I said I'd prefer not to. Um, could we wait? So we waited a while longer and then he explained that I had started to tear towards my bum even more um, and he'd like to make you know, a more sideways cut. Um, so he did that anyway. They checked with me that I was okay, you know, if I if if they had permission to do things. I felt like I, you know, I was making the decisions and I was making the decisions. Like, and I had time to talk it through with Phil. I had, you know, as much time as I needed. And I'd asked for more time a couple of times and they gave it to me no problem. There was no, never any rush, never any, you know, I didn't feel under pressure and I didn't feel panicked at any stage. If I asked for more time or if I asked for time to think about it, they gave me that every single time, which was brilliant. And then, so he wouldn't come out with the vacuum for the first little while. And the consultant said to me, OK, baby is really in distress now and we need to get him out. And I said, OK, can I try push for a few? Can I try a few more pushes and see if I can get him out? And he said, yeah, no problem at all. So they changed my position because he had shoulder dystocia and got stuck. So I had to get, you know, I had my knees up around my shoulders and there's people pushing on my belly. But I like they explained all of this to me before I got into that position. And he came out on the second push after that. So not a bother. And when he came out, the consultant was like, whoa, he's way bigger than we thought he would be. And I was like, oh, OK. You know, but he didn't cry when he came out. And that was, I was so freaked out. Like, it felt like it was about 20 minutes that I was going, oh my God, is he, and I actually said to Phil, is he alive? Like, you know, is he okay? And Phil was like, yeah, yeah, he's moving and stuff. And I was like, I can't hear him. And I was like, where is he? You know, I was freaked out because he got stuck. And I thought that maybe he was in a bit of distress. But literally, I'd, like Phil was like, it's five seconds, babe. It's not, you know, it's not. But it felt like a lifetime until he like, he started crying. So because he had the shoulder dystocia, they took him over. They had to, you know, cut the cord and go and suction him. And he because he was stuck for a little while, and he, but he was fine. He came back over to me straight away, and we got skin on skin, and he fed straight away. Brilliant. He was ten eight ounces when he was born. Big healthy boy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when he, you know, when the consultant saw him, he was like, God, it's only going to be nine pounds. But he's a bit bigger than that. He was like, well done you. That's great. Um, so I had a pretty big, I started to tear and then I got the episiotomy. Um, and I had a pretty big repair um, with the episiotomy. Um, but that was okay. I, you know, I was numbed up. It was fine. It was, I was delighted to have Hugo there. I didn't kind of think about it again. Um, but it took him a while to close it up. And actually, you know, I had a, a third degree tear. And I think now a lot of time they go to theatre for that. And I, even back then, they probably did too. Like that's nine years ago. Even back then, maybe they did too. But anyway, I it was closed up. I haven't had any issues with it since. I did really good pelvic, pelvic physio afterwards. Um, my rehab was great and I don't have any 
symptoms of it since I'm so lucky I'm so grateful for that because I know now working in this area I know plenty of people who do um but I didn't have any difficulties with that afterwards um so I stayed in for I think five four days I stayed in for um and how did you feel in those four days like after the delivery that that you had after I felt like a superhero I was on an absolute high just I just thought was, I was like I'd do it again I'd do it again tomorrow I absolutely loved it you know even though you know like when I look back on it it was much tougher than my second boy and I think like you know if I had been dealt with differently like I hear so many stories from women who had very similar experiences to me but they were they had a completely different experience because they weren't there was no communication to them and I think that's such a key thing during birth communication and you know keeping those lines open and stuff so yeah that and then so the four days afterwards I was really lonely it was, it was a um a vomiting bug outbreak and no one was allowed in to see me except for Phil and I really missed my mum and my sister and, you know, like my friends and everything else. And I really, really miss them. So Hugo fed really well the first two days. And then he was very sleepy after that. And trying the lactation consultant, who was a lovely, lovely lady. She was an Indian lady, actually. Really, really lovely lady. Like, you know, one of those people that you meet instantly and think, oh, God, they're, you know, I'd like to hug her. She's so lovely. Um, and she was so helpful and, you know, he was feeding fine when I left the hospital and then I got home and it was a different story so he got I got home and he wasn't feeding well at all and I was you know bouncing on the ball trying to keep him calm while trying to feed him it was a nightmare like I'll never forget it as long as I live and I was like he's not he couldn't eat he was hysterical screaming screaming like really really badly crying and my husband was like what do you want to do and I said I don't know I don't know my mum was like you know if you wanted to you could give him a bottle or you can continue trying to feed him or feed him and give him a bottle or see what you think and I was like okay fine um so that lasted that like you know struggling to get my breast into his mouth lasted probably another day and a half and I was my sister was like, I'm never having another child again. I, you've made up my mind. She came in the next day and I was sitting on the ball topless <laughs> with milk leaking. And like, you know, the baby was screaming, crying, but wouldn't latch on. She was like, I'll never forget looking at you in that moment. You were like, she was like, God, this is awful. Um, so she had, my, I'm so lucky. I come from a family of breastfeeders. Like they were just brilliant support to me. She went off and got me nipple shields and was like, try the nipple shields and see if they work. Because it was the weekend, it was a Friday, it was a Saturday. So the public health nurse hadn't, she came on the Friday, you know, she, no, she hadn't come at this stage, sorry, because I just got home on the, the day before, or the night before I got home. So she was due to come on the Monday. And so I got the nipple shield and they definitely helped. So I, the, the public health nurse came on the Monday and was like, I think he's got a little tongue tie. We'll go, you know, the, the lactation consultant for the area was like in that, in my local um healthcare or HSE center Helena she was just amazing so and there's a breastfeeding group there once a week that I went to but like I went through the mill you know he got, we got his tongue tie snipped um which was great and he fed much better since then but I got thrush I got mastitis I had like you know every known difficulty to my like I had really bad mastitis the day of his 
um, christening, I collapsed going across the road because my temperature was so high. The, the doctor, my GP had given me um, just a broad spectrum antibiotic and not specific for mastitis. So when I went back to, he was kind of older and not, I wouldn't say very female orientated. So I went to a different GP in the practice and she was like, they should actually, the, the lactation consultant was like, that's not the antibiotic he should have given you. He should have given you a different one. Go back to him. That's actually a good point. So there is medication specific for mastitis. Is there? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I went back and got that and like it cleared up in a couple of days, but I kind of got it on and my, my, I struggled with my supply. I'd oversupply kind of after that. And if I didn't feed on time or, you know, like, you know, I just kind of felt those lumps build up, but I knew what to look for after a while, but it's my first time doing it. I have a break as well, but the first, so the public health nurse came on the Monday then I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit. Sorry. The public health nurse came on Monday and visited me and everything was fine. Baby was great. I was great. There was no bothers. Um, but she recommended I go see the lactation consultant, which I did. So Phil went back to work then, I think the following week, and she came to visit me and I cried my eyes out the entire time. I just felt, I don't know, I was so emotional and I cried my eyes out and she was like, you know, it's okay, this is normal, mums feel like this and, you know, it's just very, and a very emotional time and, you know, your body is trying to regulate the hormones and stuff and that was fine. And she called back the next day and I cried my eyes out. And she called back the next day. She came to me for like 10 days in a row every day. And, you know, just to make sure that I was okay. And I kind of, you know, I got over, I kind of started feeling better in myself. But um, I got postnatal depression, actually. So when I was three months, I think it was three months after Hugo, I was standing in the kitchen one day and I was, Phil always like, he always sings songs to the kids. He still does it and it's really irritating. But it's like, you know, who is the best boy? Hugo is the best boy or whatever. It was just kind of irritating. And I was always going like, just stop doing that. So this day I was in the kitchen, I was chopping carrots and he came in and he started singing to Hugo. And I thought in my head, like, if I stabbed him and killed him, who would cover for me? And I was like, okay, well, it's not a normal thought to have. Um, wow, I was like, that's really terrifying that I just thought of that. And I kind of just, you know, I didn't do much about it, but I was like, noticed that that was my thought and went, that's weird. But, you know, I need to talk about that probably. And then the next night, Hugo didn't sleep at all. He was a terrible sleeper, still is a terrible sleeper. He's still a like total night owl and doesn't love sleep at all. Um, so the following night I was upstairs and he was crying a lot and I was bouncing on the ball. And I remember going, if I put him out the window, I just wouldn't hear him. I wouldn't cry. You know, wouldn't, I just wouldn't hear him anymore. It'd be okay. And I just said to Phil, I woke Phil up and I said, you need to take Hugo. I just thought of putting him out the window because his, I'm so tired and his cry is so really annoying me. And Phil was like, okay, maybe you need to go and get help. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I went, made an appointment with my GP the next day and went down to the GP and, you know, discussed what I'd felt about the stabbing <laughs> and putting baby out the window. And she was amazing. She was like, okay, look, you know, that sounds like you're, it sounds like something that you need to talk to a professional about. And I was like, okay, fine. And she said, I can give you medication or you can try and deal with it through counseling or, you know, whatever. And I was like, I don't, I didn't want to go on medication, not because there's anything wrong with that 
but I wasn't having the feelings all of the time. And I kind of was like, I'll see how I go with the counseling. And if I still continue to have those feelings, then I will definitely go on the medication. So I went to counseling and I went to counseling for, geez, um, I probably went for three or four months, but I went twice a week at the start. And then it kind of slowly, slowly started to wean it down. And the counselor I went to see said, like, I, I love my job. I absolutely loved it. And it was such a, it's such a big part of me. And she was like, you know, you, she said, I think you should go back to work part-time. She was like, that might sound like a strange thing for me to say because you're suffering from postnatal depression. But she said, I think part of it is you not having control over anything. Like, you know, I have this gorgeous little baby who I wanted for so long in front of me and he didn't sleep and I couldn't control any of it whatsoever. So um, I went back to work three days a week and I was like a different person from the time I went back to work. Now, it didn't mean I had to pump seven times a day, you know, in the car from hospital to hospital, getting, you know, bits from tro- lorry drivers when I had my double, <laughs> my double breastfold. Oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> I know, lots of, lots of entertainment for people passing by. <laughs> but, you know, I like... I felt so much better once I went back to work and that, you know, lots of people think that that's very strange. And still to this day, people are like, wow, that's mad that you went back to work so early. But for me, it was right. You know, she was bang on the money. I went back and I was like a different person pretty much from when I went back. So I went back three days a week to start. And then at six and a half months, I went back full time. I'm very lucky. My mum is just amazing. And she minds the kids and still does. She's just like, I can't explain how amazing she is how much of a support she is and just how brilliant she is at every stage for the kids like from the get-go so she I did you know going back to work for me wasn't like it is for other people leaving their baby I know like that and even actually on Riley I was really like god I don't want to go back to work you know just yet but it was the right thing for me to do and it was great yeah so I felt much better and came through at the other side I you know I, I, I continued going to counseling about but then you know after yeah, like it's very sad to think about my cancer because I, you know, built up a relationship. But like it, it was a very, yeah, it was very important that I recognized it and did. Yeah, absolutely. It, I but I, d- I don't think it's strange that you say that go, you went back to work for that reason because so many people do. Like I stay at home and I'm so tempted to go back to work for myself because yeah. it's just, it's, can be really, really, really hard. So you know yourself being at home. So no, I completely yeah. I can relate. And I know a lot of other people can relate to it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I felt, it felt very, like, you know, at the time, everyone was like, you're going back to work? It's only four and a half months. Or, you know, like it was, there was lots of people who didn't think it was a good idea. But like it worked for me yeah. and that's what I had to do. And I, the other side of it, I'm very lucky. So then um, after Hugo, we... Like, because he didn't sleep, I think, for so long as well. I was put off kids for a while. <laughs> so when about three years after Hugo, or maybe two and a half years after Hugo, like when he was, I think he was two and a half or three, we tried again and I got pregnant the first time we tried. And I had a miscarriage. Um, so I got to, you know, I went for my early scan and there was a heartbeat there. And I went back then for a nine-week scan or... Yeah, it was a nine week scan and they said that the it had stopped growing, but there was still a heartbeat. So I had to wait an extra week and come back and see whether the heartbeat kept going or whatever. And that was pretty tough. Like, you know, that week wait to see was hard, even though they said that it had stopped growing. 
you know, I hadn't held out much hope, but at the same time, I think you always hope, you know, it's normal. It's a normal human thing to do. So we went back the week later and yeah, the heartbeat had stopped. So I took, you know, those, the tablets too. And I, I opted to stay at home. So he was like, you can come in and we can, you can do it in the hospital or you can take the tablets and go home, whatever you want. So I opted to go home and um, yeah, that was quite a tough experience, but you know, one that I chose to do at home instead of going into the Rotunda. Um, and my follow-up care, like my care from the time that they had a suspicion that it mightn't of continued as a pregnancy was just amazing. And then my follow-up care as well. Like, you know, I was called to make sure I was okay two weeks after I had an appointment with my consultant. Like, but they were they really, you know, I felt cared for even though it was crap, like I felt, you know, that I, I was cared for. So then we decided we wait a little while to try for Riley. And then when we tried for Riley, I got pregnant the first time around again, which was great. Um, and I had hyperemesis again from the start, like probably from, you know, six weeks, probably from like even before I fed, did Peter and the stick, I felt queasy and awful. But um, yeah, so that continued on for my entire pregnancy with Riley as well. And I had quite moderate pelvic girdle pain on him as well. And the driving, I don't think helped because um, I was driving quite a bit with work, but I don't think that that helped with my pelvic girdle pain either. Um, yeah, swimming definitely helped me and physio visits and, you know, kind of Pilates based exercises helped as well. Um so yeah and then so Riley came early Hugo was Hugo actually broke his leg when I was pregnant on Riley we went for a walk down the park and um, we there's like this little path kind of over a river it's kind of a little like adventure place and when we came back up you have to climb over the wall or jump over the wall like the wall is literally a foot and a half high if that and Phil was standing behind the wall and he lifted Hugo up onto the wall and Phil slipped and Hugo slipped forward and like literally you know it's like falling off a wall that's a foot and a half whatever way he caught his foot he twisted and he had a fractured tibia the shin bone and so I was you know and he smashed his head as well and I was like it's okay I've got skin glue in the car we can deal with this you know because his head was bleeding I was like this is cool we could deal with this and so I was like I don't think it's his head we need to worry about he can't walk and I was like oh my god so I was I sent Phil back to the car to get this kid loose stupidly. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, we have to bring him to a hospital. So Phil came back and we carried him. We went to get him an ice pop to try and calm him down because he was hysterical. And um, we went in and got an x-ray. And sure enough, it was, I'm very lucky in the way where I work. Like I got a, we got an x-ray straight away and he was in a plaster cast and sent home and, you know, very quickly and efficiently. But it meant that our life's changed a bit because he was just out of nappies and you know at night time he was out of nappies ages before that but at night time he was just out of nappies so we put a nappy back on him and that's what worked for us because he couldn't get up out of the bed he wasn't waking up to tell us now he slept in our bed and asked for an ice pack all the time because he thought you know like the ice pack helped at the time when it broke and then you know he got the cast put on so he kept that he associated the ice pack with the pain relief so he kept asking for an ice pack because two of us were like let's get the ice pack <laughs> because it calmed him it's funny it calmed him down 
so um yeah so that was tough trying to deal with that in my last you know weeks of pregnancy so you know Riley was measuring pretty big as well but again he was like look we know that you have big babies it's cool I had a gestational diabetes test on Riley actually and I had one on Hugo and they were both negative um I had one high reading actually on Riley after my GTT test but when I went for my GTT test I hadn't eaten for three days because of my vomiting so I had a slightly high reading for the GTT and the consultant was like you don't have gestational diabetes you haven't had one high blood sugar reading you know don't be worried about coming into breakfast club all the time and I, so I go to breakfast club plans every couple of weeks and never had a high reading but I still had they still rang me to go like all the time I was 36 plus three and my waters started to trickle. So I went in to the consultant and he was like, yeah, look, he's, you're dilated, probably nearly, you know, three, two or three centimeters. But he's like, some people walk around dilated three centimeters and it never affects somebody. He's like, yeah, your waters are definitely trickling like I could see them. And um, he was like, do you want me to do a sweep or do you want me to wait? He was like, you're, you know, you're 36 plus three, but your waters are broken. So, you know, it's up to you. And he still, he was still considered premature at that stage. Well, just like early, late premature, but you know, still, he still falls into that bracket because it's not 37 weeks yet. So um, he said, go home and relax and see, you know, if anything happens. And I was like, okay, grand. So I went home, I kind of felt a little bit crampy, but not, you know, I was like, um, who knows at that stage, Braxton Hicks were like in full swing. And I was going, who knows, it's probably Braxton Hicks. So I got Hugo ready for bed and put him to bed and I tidied up and prepared dinner for the next day and, you know, like did all the normal household things. And I went to bed and I think I went to bed about 11 and went to sleep. And I woke up at half two, I think, like a light with contractions. And I was like, Whew, okay, maybe this is it. So we put Hugo into the car we didn't have a hospital bag packed <laughs> so we put Hugo into the car we grabbed some bits and um headed in my mum and dad met us on the N11 with Hugo and we dropped into them and then we continued on in so in the car on the way and I had my tens in and I was like you know singing my heart out in the car trying to distract myself from the contractions they were that um, severe that's uh, that quickly yeah they were quite because they were five minutes apart like kind of then yeah so I was like and so we got in there and um they checked me I was like you know in the car in the hall I didn't check in I was like on like try really you know trying to control myself while talking in between contractions anyway we checked in and they brought us me up to the annex there was no um delivery suites available so I was brought to the annex and she checked me and was like yeah you're like four and a half five centimeters so I said oh okay fine and she was like well, well do you want to get into the bath we have a bath available and I was like definitely mm. this is great so get into the bath and she was like you know some people find it really nice if you wet the towel and put it over your belly and just you know she's like, just chill out in here she turned the lights down low and just there was a light over the mirror that was still on and I had my my gentle birth tracks and my some music as well I kind of alternated between them um so that was great and I loved the bath they stayed in there probably for an hour or 40 minutes or so but the contractions really ramped up and I felt like my his favorite part of this was like he said my favorite part was when you were in the bath you looked over at me and you went I'm not a wuss but these are bloody painful <laughs> and he was like 
okay do you want me to do something where it's like nope just leave me alone so I got out of the bath and you know got my jammies on and I went for my stair climbing I walked up and down the stairs in the rotunda sideways backwards forwards and saying fuck 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 the whole way that was my mantra and like all of my breathing that I practiced and everything you know I, like my nose was blocked so I couldn't do my um my wave <laughs> or my ocean breath that I practiced for the whole of pregnancy my nose was so blocked and actually the first time as well my nose was so blocked I couldn't breathe through my nose and I practiced that yoga you know breathe in through your nose and breathe out through. I couldn't breathe out. and it was like it was good you wasted so much time doing that <laughs> So yeah, my my mantra was the book, 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 book for the whole time. Um, so yeah, and then I went in, I was like, oh, I think I, I had my tens back on at that stage, obviously. And I went back in and I was like, you know, I must've been in transition looking back on it now because I was like internally going, I don't know if I can do this. This is ridiculous. Like, I think maybe I'm going to need to get the epidural again. I really wanted to do it by myself. And, you know, I was really like fighting with myself internally. Are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I didn't say out loud, I don't think I can do it because I was like so con I convinced myself so much that I was able to do this before I went in. I was like, if I say that out loud, he's going to be like, she's a lunatic. <laughs> but um, and then like that lasted not very long. And I said to the midwife, um, I need the gas and air. And she was like, OK, yeah, I can get you the gas and air. So she gave me the gas and air and I, you know, took a took a and I said, it's not working. And she goes give it a minute and I was like it's not plugged in and she was like oh god I'm sorry so she by the time she had it hooked up I was like no 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 there's no time I need to push she was like what I push it. she goes oh I said can you check if I if I can push her and she was like you can't have the baby here you know I was in the annex still she was like I'll have to get the other midwife because I think she was a junior midwife so first year midwife. so she went and got the other one the other one came in and took one look at me she didn't even need to check me and she said okay, I'm getting a wheelchair. So she got the wheelchair and she was like, listen to me, you are not to push. And I was like, okay. And she was like, you are in control of your body. You are not to push. You just hang on. We'll be there in a second. Just hang on. I was like, okay. So she put me in the wheelchair and we're going in. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm pushing. Because <laughs> you can't control it. <laughs> Too hard. So I got in, climbed up in the bed and turned on my side. And I'd say three or four pushes later, Riley came Oh, out. brilliant. She Shot out, absolutely shot out. But I said to Phil, give me your hand. And she, the midwife thought I said, give her a hand. And she goes, I've done this once or twice tonight already. I was like, oh, not you, him, give him, give me your hand. <laughs> so he shot out, um, he was nine pounds, 10 ounces. And uh, so he shot out straight to skin to skin, left cord attached and you know, after a little while, the cord got cut. Um, Phil didn't want to cut it. He had no interest in cutting it. Um, and then he fed straight away. I actually think he came out with his mouth open looking for boob. That's how that and that's how it continued for the rest of his breastfeeding journey. He was like, I'm ready for boob. You know, came out and he was like, literally did he did the breast crawl actually, which was really amazing. And um, yeah, from that time on he was like attached to me. But because I had that slightly high gestational diabetes test they wanted to take blood from him and I was like mm, not right now I said I don't want him you know he's are you happy with everything and they said yeah and I was like okay well then you can take it from him later I don't want you to take it from him now 
So that was fine. And then I went back to the ward and with lots of skin to skin time with him. And Phil had skin to skin time with him. Both of them actually, Phil did skin on skin with both of them. Um, it was fine. And I stayed in, my mum and my sister came in, yay, this time. They were, they were allowed to come in, which was great. Um, and they came in for a visit. And then I went home. So that he was born at 6.35 in the morning. And I went home the following morning at 11, like not that day, but the following day at 11. But Hugo came in to collect him with Phil. Uh, his broken leg on the, with his pram on it, with his stool on the back of his pram, like Lord Muck. It's just like the nicest thing ever, that sibling, the first time they meet and seeing them interact. I'll tell you, my heart was like bursting. Um, and then my little journey with him was just completely amazing. Dream feeder. He was a dream sleeper. He was just the best baby, the chubbiest, most delicious baby. Really was. I was looking back at photos of him the other day and I was like, God, he was just so delicious. Um, smiley Riley. You know, he says, you know, he smiled when he was little and he's still so smiley, wakes up singing happy every day and goes to bed happy every night. He's really just, the two of them are just brilliant. Um, yeah, so that was Riley. And I fed him, I fed Hugo for a year and I fed Riley for two years, which was great. I loved it. Loved breastfeeding. I was so sad when I gave up. And how did um, you find, so that's quite a long time for someone who went back to work as well. So how did you find that? Morning and night I fed him. You know, I was lucky I used a lactation consultant to help me wean to a stage that I could feed him morning and night. But yeah, I think it was actually probably a month after two years and I missed it. I was so sad. I remember like my last feed, I was going, oh God, I'm so sad about this. This is just awful. Now, if I whipped out my boob tomorrow and said, do you want to drink? He'd go for it. Do you know, like he loved it as much as I did. And he kept on saying, mom, a boo-boo? And I was like, no, no more boo-boo. And he's like, why? <laughs> you know, he was just so, so cute. But um, yeah, that was my breastfeeding journey. So just to interrupt, this is where we go into Rosie's story. So for those of you who are not ready to listen to a story that's quite upsetting, um, this might be the end of the episode for you. So um, then I got pregnant on Rosie. Um, that was this year. Um, and I found out a little bit later than I did on the boys. And I'd been bleeding kind of on and off um from the start and they like you know there was no reason on the scan they could see that or anything else they just so put it down to um ectropian cervix which is where some of the inside cells grow on the outside of the cervix and they if they're agitated at all they bleed very easily so um that was kind of what it was put down to there was no you know, like every time I was checked, it was fine. There was no, nothing wrong with her. So then um, I went, I booked in for the harmony test at nine weeks. And the day before that, I had a bigger bleed and I went into the rotunda and I was seeing an ED. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And they noticed there was like, like there's a shadow in my placenta. And she said it was a subchronic hematoma. So it's just like a little kind of blood blister that develops inside your placenta. And sometimes they burst and disperse or whatever. But it kind of looked like an H shape. There was like two little circles it looked like. And she was like, yeah, so I think I had a higher increase or an increased chance of miscarriage is what she said. But she was like, you know, plenty of people have these and don't even notice or go through a pregnancy and it's unnoticed. And, you know, you should be fine. So I left um, that day and the next day I had my harmony test booked up in LV in Beacon or in Sandyford so I went in and climbed up you know I had to do the questionnaire and everything so I went in and climbed up on the bed and um the sonographer was like I can't we can't do the harmony test and I was like why not and she said because you have two other pregnancy sacks and I was like what so she was like, yeah, you have two other pregnancy sacs there and there um, and there's tissue or there's, you know, matter in them. And I was like, OK, and she goes, it could be a yolk sac. And I was like, OK. So she was like, so baby is measuring nine weeks and those two are measuring six weeks. I was like, what the, you know, I was so confused. She was like, so that's considered a multiple pregnancy. And I was like, OK, Um and how did that happen? And she's like, I have no idea, but I'm, I've been a sonographer for 20 years and I'm telling you now that there are two other pregnancy sex. So of course I left and I was like freaking out. I rang my consultant and uh, he was in theater or something, but he rang I, the midwife who took the message. She said, when she went into him, he said, um, if she's pregnant with triplets, I'm hanging up my boots. Like, the, you know, that's, I scanned her at seven weeks and there was no, triplets or whatever eight weeks it was he'd scanned me I think a week before and there was no sign of that whatsoever so um yeah I went back to him and he was like yeah you know it's hard to tell what they are like they it's like a, a pretty they look like pregnancy sacks and they have got something in them but 
there's no heartbeat or whatever. So I had to wait a week and go back and get checked to see if a heartbeat developed. So when I went back in, I was sitting at him and he goes, I'm sorry now, there's no heartbeat. And I started crying. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that you had your hopes up for triplets. I was like, I don't. I'm relieved. You know, I was so relieved. I was like, how? I'm sure we would have managed, but how on earth would I manage triplets on top of the two boys? Anyway, so they slowly started to disappear. You know, it was like they slowly, slowly started to kind of disappear back into my placenta and into my and kind of a couple of weeks later, they were completely gone. So I had a scan with her at 16 and a half weeks and she was perfect. And we kind of decided because of the bleeding and all the other stuff, we decided not to tell anybody. We hadn't told anybody. We were going to wait until the 20 week scan to tell people. And so 16 and a half weeks I went in, I started feeling her moving, you know, just little flutters here and there. And I think with your third, like, well, in my experience anyway, I, knew that it was something different than like I knew that it was movement as opposed to gas or whatever else and it was when I lay down still in bed at night I felt her and stuff so that was at about 16 and a half weeks and I my brother was he had a brain surgery and he was in hospital and he'd come home and there'd been a big like he had to go back into hospital he had chemical meningitis and he so there was like a lot of kind of stress that day and like not obviously for me personally because he's my brother but you know I wasn't around or involved in it but it was you know I kind of what probably was worried about that and not listening to my body so much or whatever but I lay down in bed and I was like to Phil I can't feel her and he was like what do you mean and I said I haven't felt her move today he was like oh okay and he was like well maybe she's you know, he's like, would she be sleeping? Or I was like, I don't know. So I rang the rotunda and they said, yeah, you're still very early for movement. But if you want to come in, you're welcome to come in. Um, You know, maybe she's behind the placenta or, you know, you just don't know at that stage. She's still little. I said, yeah, okay. So the next morning I woke up and I was like, no, I haven't. There's no movement. Like, haven't felt any, you know, I don't think. I said, well, I think she's gone. Like, I don't feel that she's still there. He was like, okay, we'll go in and get checked out. So Hugo actually, oh God, Hugo had to get a corona, a COVID test the day before. So Phil couldn't come with me, regardless of whether he was allowed to or not. He couldn't come with me. So when I rang the hospital, I said, will they still see me? Because we hadn't got the results back. So they said, yeah, of course, we'll, we'll put you into it an isolation room straight away and I was like okay grand so I went in and was brought into an isolation room straight away and there was an advanced practitioner came in to the room and she just said you know like what's going on honey and I was, I was saying you know I had felt her moving and I have a, I can't feel her anymore and you know I want to just check that she's okay and she was like yeah you're still very early to feel movement and you know maybe she's behind the percent but we'll have a look and see and she put the scanner on my tummy and she was just like the tears came into her eyes straight away and she was like like and you know like you know, she was I could see how flustered she was I kind of because I prepared myself for it I wasn't shocked like obviously I was still devastated but I was like I she's like I don't like I can't oh my god I can't um I'm so sorry but I can't see a heartbeat and I said yeah I you know I kind of that and she was like I'm going to go and get a consultant 
you know, like, are you okay here while I go and get a consultant? And I said, yeah, of course. Like she was so lovely. I, you know, she was just so lovely and so compassionate and, you know, like I, I can't explain how nice she was. So she went off and got the consultant. The consultant came back in and scanned me and was like, yeah, I'm really sorry, but there's not a heartbeat. Do you want your husband to come in? And I said, he's not here, actually. Actually, the advanced practitioner asked that as well. I said, he's not here. He's at home. And she was like, I'm so sorry. And she was like, I'll stay with you, you know, if you want to get someone to come in. And I said, OK. And I was like, mm, OK, thanks. So I was fine for like, well, I wasn't fine, but I was like, you know, kind of it took a few minutes to sink in and then I was like got so hot and sweaty and like I was wearing no pants anyway because they had a look at my they had a look they were going to have a they were, they were going they were thinking about doing an internal scan or whatever um and so I had no pants on I just had a, a tissue thing over me and I got so hot I took off my top so I was sitting on the bed in my bra like I took my mask off and I was like, I'm so sorry for taking my mask off. And they were like, don't be sorry. It's not, you know, it's okay. Can we get you anything? So I got a drink of water and I, they kind of left me digested for, I just said, I just want to be okay on my own for a few minutes. And they were like, yeah, okay, no problem. So I rang my mom and dad and they were coming in because Phil couldn't come in. So they said so they'd come in and collect me. So um, a lovely consultant came in called Nicola and she just explained she said look I, we don't know why it's happened you've had a scan last week and everything was perfect and you're you know my consultant wasn't on and she was like I'll ring him later and tell him and you know she's like I'm so sorry you know that's it's awful and she explained to me then what would happen will I tell you will I keep going yeah whatever you're comfortable with yeah yeah so she gave me the two tablets and I had to take one then and I had to take one the morning. No, I had to take one. God, I can't remember now. Maybe I had to take one the morning, one that morning and one the next day or something. I can't remember what it was. But um, so my mum and dad came in and collected me and I actually drove home. I was like, I want to drive. And I was like, what? I said, I want to drive home. I just went, like, I want to drive home. She was like, no, I'll drive. Because I had my car in there anyway. And I said, no, 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 I'll drive. She was like okay so I drove home you know kind of was like the mixed emotions crying and trying to pull myself together and you know like allowing myself go and it was just like you know kind of an emotional roller coaster as it is for everybody who suffers a loss and I got home and like just I just fell apart when I got home it was awful and we discussed then about telling the kids. I just need a second. I've said it out loud so many times that it's still like, you know, that's still that way. Um, so we discussed telling the kids and they, we went into the bedroom and, you know, I just said, guys, there's something that I need to tell you. And I said, um, baby Rosie wasn't well and her heart stopped beating. And he goes like, does that mean she's dead? I said, yeah, it does mean she's dead. You know, kids like they're just so, they, they say it as they see it. I said, yeah, it does mm. mean she's dead. And she was, they were, he was devastated. Like 
two of them were really upset, right? He was like, he's four and he was kind of like, oh, that's really sad, mum. Poor Rosie. And I was like, yeah, poor Rosie. It is really sad. And he was like, poor you, mum. Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. You know, he kind of, he was a bit more detached, but Hugo was bawling and crying. He was so upset. And he was like, why did she die? And how did she die? And, you know, like he was really, he had so many questions. And I said, I, we don't know why she died. She, she just, her heart stopped beating and we don't know why. He was like, okay. So, you know, everybody was so amazing. My family like dropping up dinners, and, but it was still COVID like, so it's, you know, mm. my friends couldn't come to see me and, that was awful but my family dropped up dinner and loads of my friends did drop up meals and drop flowers like my house is like a florist from I remember you saying that to me yeah from one room to the next so it was like full with flowers and full with food and everything like just people are just so amazing so so amazing so that was the Sunday and then the Monday my we left the kids off school and we all just hung out together and watch TV and you know went and got a takeaway and sat down the beach and ate it and you know like it was pretty somber but it was nice to spend time together and then Tuesday morning came and I had to ring and ask for a time to go in and they said 12 o'clock would would be when they'd have the room ready for me and sorry on the Sunday I was given a card which is like a card for loss um, it has a symbol on it. And when you enter the hospital, you just show people that card and they know exactly what's happening, which is just the most amazing system, if you ask me. Because you know, when you don't want to talk to people, that's when you need the card <laughs> to flash that card. So um, the boys said goodbye to Rosie that morning. And like I, I so many times before that, I've said... You know, with hearing of loss from other people, I said, I don't know how people do that. Go in to have a baby and they know that they won't, baby won't be alive. I kept on thinking, God, like, how did I say that so many times? And now it's me. Like, that's how it goes. It's not, you can't, you can't, you can't choose if those things happen to you. So, um, like I have so many amazing friends kind of in the birth world who have who had talked to me and you know explained to me what's going to happen and actually my consultant the day before rang me and I said I want to know everything that's going to happen to me tomorrow you want you need to tell me from the time I enter the hospital until the time that I leave what's going to happen and he was like okay so he went through when you arrive, you show them your card. You're going to go to the gynae ward because, you know, obviously they bring you to the gynae ward so that you don't go to a ward where people have had kids. Um, so, and then you're going, I'm going to come and see you and we're going to give you another, either a pessary or a tablet. And I said, okay. And then that will kickstart your labor. And he said, some people it takes four hours. Some people it takes two days. We said, be prepared to come in for the two days if you need to. Pack enough stuff, you know, make sure that the kids are minded. He was like, hopefully it won't take you two days, but it could take you two days. And I said, okay, fine. Like I was very grateful for the explanation from start to finish, because I think if I know how something goes, I deal with it a lot better. 
that's just me personally. Some people don't want to know. I wanted to know every single detail of what was going to happen. I said, when Rosie comes, it'll be just the same as normal birth. Your waters will break, baby will come, and we can give you whatever pain medication you want to get you through it. And there's a bereavement midwife who will come in and talk to you and you can make all the decisions about what happens with Rosie then. I was like, okay, grand. And then like one of my friends is a midwife, Avril Flynn. She's just, she again, went through all of it with me and what happens. And, you know, she's just, I actually don't know. Like when I think back, I'm like, how would I have done that? And I have another good friend who, who, who lost a baby, like the same gestational age. And she was just, you know, knowing other people's experiences and how it goes for me made it easier. And that's why I said I'd talk about her birth because if it helps somebody else, I'm all for that. So uh, I went in that day and, you know, when I was going in, everybody knew I was going in. So I had so many texts from people being like, you're not alone. I'm there with you in spirit. And, you know, think of all the people who've done this before. And, you know, like those kind of encouraging words were amazing because I was like I don't tell you what to say you know like I, I kind of didn't want people to be like god this is awful for you and you know I kind of did that day I didn't want people to be like that I was like I want people to be send me strength and encouragement and that's what I, when I text my friends my group my whatsapp group and whatever I was like send me strength and courage that's what I need not not sorrow today sorry I said to Phil, in my weakest moment, remind me that I'm strong. I can do this. So I got in and we went like literally flashed the card and it's like, here you go down this hall. Um, I had to check in, but that was the only person that I had to speak to outside of the room. So I went up to the room and the Greenland's midwife was there and she came in and showed Emma. She was just like everyone was just amazing so she came in and talked me through you know what would happen that really she was going to come and see me and um like again step by step what was going to happen so I felt prepared and she said we don't have to talk about what you want to do with Rosie afterwards until afterwards but we can do it now if you want so we were like oh we'll wait until afterwards and she was like you don't have to see Rosie if you don't want to you don't have to hold her you know we can do we can bring her away and bring her back you know she went through all of that because we were like oh, what happens when she comes out like it's just we didn't know so um so that was fine Dr. Rish came to see me and we agreed I'd take so the pessary can the internal pessary like in your vagina can take longer and but they have a sublingual tablet that you take underneath your tongue and you allow it to dissolve and that I opted for that because he thought that I'd be suitable for it and it's it can be quicker. So I opted to take that. And I had, you know, I asked, like I said to the midwife who was looking after me, Shauna, who was just like, she's like an angel. I don't know how people do it. But I, and I said that to them so many times, how do you do this for a job? And they were like, it's great. Like, I'm, I feel so privileged to be able to help people in their toughest moment. So that I never thought of it like that, you know, but... It has to be a calling because I don't know what else it would be. Um, so, yeah, so I said to her, you know, like, 
is it going to be the same as a normal birth? And she was like, yes, it'll be exactly the same. You'll get contractions and then eventually you'll feel the need to, you may or may not feel the need to push. You may just come out or you may need to push her out. And I said, okay, fine. So I so funny I didn't like I, I listened to gentle birth the whole way through and when I came down to it when I got in there I was like no I associate that with having a baby at the end so I was like we're not going to listen to that so I love audiobooks so I'd say the midwife thought we were mental we were listening to some like spy audiobook on the bed in the room the whole time so I took the sublingual tablet and we had to leave that dissolve and then you drink you know you, you, you can have your water or whatever after that and fairly probably about 45 minutes after I took it I started feeling contractions you know like mild contractions totally dealable with if that's a word um and then they slowly started to kind of increase but like we didn't time them or you know there was no need to time them or you know I didn't feel under that pressure and I kept on you know like in my head I kept on thinking of all the people who've done this before me because I was like you know I can definitely do this there's plenty of people who've done this before me and I know I can I know that sounds really strange but I felt everyone's everyone with me you know I really did so um I bounced on my ball, I stayed upright, I stayed forward leaning, all the things I did in other births, like, you know, I kept my tens on as they got more intense and they kept on saying, you know, you don't have to be in pain, we can give you something for this. You know, Rosie isn't as big as other babies, so she'll, she's likely to come out easier if you want to take the pepidine or, you know, if you want something else for the pain, we can give it to you. And I was like, no, I don't. I know that with Hugo, my labor slowed down after I got the epidural and I didn't want this to be any longer than it had to be. So I dealt with the contractions very well, but it was like, you know, it was full on being in labor. Like it's not, there was no difference between that and Riley's birth for me. Um, The contractions kind of ramped up a good bit more. And like, you know, it's funny, I... So like in class every week, we practice a ha breath or like a moan. So every time I'd exhale, I was like, ha, like, you know, trying to focus my energy going down, opening and releasing to allow the baby to come out and all that kind of stuff. And poor Phil was like, we can get you pain relief if you need it. I was like, oh, I'm not saying this because I'm, you know, because it's unbearable. I'm trying to relax, you know, down below. And that's what helps. And it was like, oh, okay, we should have said that at the start. <laughs> okay sorry about that I forgot to mention it um so yeah I continued on anyway and then I I was tired from being upright my lunch came in <laughs> our lunch came in and I'd opted for moussaka and I in between my contractions I was eating the moussaka <laughs> um so then I got up in the bed to rest and I lay on my side so that was probably about four hours later I lay on my side and as I sat up, my water went and I freaked out. I was like, what the heck is happening? You know, I was like, is she going to come out with the waters? Or like, I was really freaked out about that. I was like, oh my God, is she here? Like, do I, you know, I didn't know what to expect because some, sometimes they do come out with the waters when your waters break. That's what Shona said. So I was like, okay. And I was like, 
you know, sitting in the bed going, go get the midwife quickly. I don't know what's going on. And he was like, okay. And I said, I, my waters have broken, but I don't know if the baby's there. So she came in, you know, cool as a cucumber. So she's like, I know this is scary for you. And I know that you are, that this is difficult. She's like, but your waters have broken. Baby hasn't come. So we're going to get you into the bathroom. And, you know, if you want to change into your nighties, I was still in my, um, like my Lululemons and my t-shirt at this stage. Um, so I went in and changed into my nighty that I delivered the two boys in. Um, that was a big debate in the house as the day before as to whether I would take it in my own head, like as to whether I'd take it. And, you know, I was like, well, it's, it's another birth time. She's a baby. She's going to be here. So I took it in and then um, I went back out and, got into my ball you know yourself when your waters go like sometimes it's a gush sometimes it's a trickle sometimes it's you know a mix in between but so much came out that time because that's the first time that my waters went in a gush the other two times they were trickles and then came as the baby came out um and Riley the poor midwife got soaked (laughs) they gave it such a gush as he came out but um yeah, so I think that was the first time we'd kind of experienced that and the panic set in. So then my contractions ramped up and probably maybe 40, 50 minutes later, I felt like I needed to push and that freaked me out because I was like, where am I going to have her? Like, you know, do I do I have her in the bed or where do I have her? And I, I'd been going to the toilet a bit and I'd really liked being on the toilet you know, sitting on the toilet even during my contractions. So when Shauna came in, she was like, where do you want her? And I was like, oh, I, I don't know. And she was like, if you want to have her on the toilet, you can have her on the toilet. And I was like, okay, fine. And they put the cardboard catch thing into the toilet. And I was like, I don't care if she's dead. I'm not having her into that. And she was like, no, I'm going to get you towels now. Don't worry. You know, like to make it soft for her or whatever. I was like, oh God, this is just so. And I kept saying, this is so awful. Like, this is so awful. And she was like, it is. It's really awful. And I'm sorry. And uh, so I just hovered over the toilet. And two pushes later, she came out. And like, that was. I was like hovering there and I didn't want to look. Or I was like, God, I don't know what, you know. I didn't know if I wanted to see her or I still hadn't decided when I looked between my legs and she was there she's like so perfect but so tiny and red and Sean was like oh she's so tiny and so perfect and she's gorgeous and she's like oh you're such a gorgeous little thing you know chatting away to Rosie and she she had to unwrap the cord the cord was wrapped around her neck a few times and she was like hold still you know it'll take a few minutes so she unwrapped her and then clamped the cord and then cut it and she said, do you want to hold her now? Or, and I was like, no, I don't want to hold her now. Um, can I go in to talk to Phil? Like Phil was there, the door was open. So I went in and sat up on the bed and I just, she was like, do you want to hold? She said, you know, you can hold her now or I can take her off and clean her up and bring her back to you. Or what do you want? And I said, yeah, take her off and clean her up and we'll, I'll have her in a few minutes. Or when she's like, I'll bring her into you whenever you want. And Shauna's mum crochets or knits the dresses, like the little gown that she was in. And they brought that in to see what we wanted to put her in when she was born. 
So, and a little tiny, like little bed, which is just like, how amazing are people? I really like, I really was just like in awe. So I got back into bed and I had to deliver the placenta. So I opted not to have her with us when we did that. They, she, you know, she took her off out of the room and was kind of, we cleaned her up and put her into her little gown and um, I delivered the placenta. That was fine. It didn't take very long and it came out in one piece, thankfully. And um, yeah, but like something that struck me. So with the kids, I never really noticed how much blood there was. But I noticed there was an awful lot of blood with Rosie, like, and it seemed to be everywhere. I know that sounds really strange, but and I probably touched off things or, you know, like swung around and, it went, you know, but I, I like, I just remember like going, there's blood everywhere. Like, I'm not, you know, it's normal to bleed after birth. That's fine. And I didn't lose any excessive blood or anything, but I just noticed it more probably because I didn't have the baby with me. So like when I went into the shower, I, I delivered the placenta and I said I'd go into the shower and I went into the bathroom and I was like, Phil, don't come in here. There's like <laughs> so much blood. And he was like, I know, I've been to the toilet. Like, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's normal. So I got into the shower and had a shower and I got out of the shower and kind of got cleaned up and then got back into bed and they brought her into us. She was so tiny and so perfect. She had eyelashes and eyebrows, little nails. And she was just gorgeous. Like her head was kind of bigger and more jelly-like than I thought. I didn't know that that was a thing that, but like every part of her was just perfect. So it feels like, it's like a car crash. Like I don't want to look, but I can't take my eyes off her. So um, yeah, we just spent time kind of looking at her and taking her in and we took some photos. I took photos of like our hands holding her hands and. Um, like I took a few little photos of her face and her stuff and her face like her nose and her chin and her mouth are just her so like the boys she looked so like the boys sorry it's okay it's okay you know she was just she's beautiful though and we spent some time with her and then I just said, yeah, we opted for her to be cremated. We opted to have a full postmortem um, because we wanted to know what happened. Um, and we said goodbye to her and she went off and they said, we'll keep her in the chapel overnight. And if you want to bring her back at any stage, you can bring her back. Uh, or if you want to keep her with you, you keep her with you. They were like, you can be here for as long as you want with her. You can take as much time as you need. You can, you know, it's your choice what you want to do but we kind of you know I think we'd said our goodbyes the day before almost with the boys so uh she went we said goodbye to her and she went off and then the grievance midwife came in and went through you know whether we wanted her cremated or buried or we opted to have her cremated and whether we wanted a ceremony or not, I'm like it's COVID, so no, we didn't. But we didn't. We wouldn't. Want, we didn't want a ceremony anyway. We decided we'd take her ashes home and have a little service in her house, or you know, like bury some of the ashes in a rose bush or something like that. So, um, so we opted not to have that, uh, not to have a ceremony. So she went to the 
chapel and then she went for the postmortem the next day so they dr rishi came in and went through everything went through all the forms that we had to fill in for her postmortem and you know how much we wanted it investigated and you know all that sort of stuff which you kind of like that was something that i didn't even think about when we offered the postmortem but yeah we went through he went through everything and then um i had to stay in overnight and then and phil stayed with me so we fell asleep on the like you know wrapped in each other on the bed and then he got onto the lazy boy and i slept in the bed but like yeah it was so nice to be able to have him with me and I, you know, I know some people have gone through miscarriage without their partner and it's, it's awful. Like we were sitting in the hospital bed the next day and I said to Dr. Ishii, I felt in my head like I was going mad. And I said to him, is it normal that I want to have sex with Phil? Like the next day or be intimate with Phil? And he was like yes and I said is it normal that I feel that I want to have another baby straight away you know like that I want to get pregnant and have a baby now and he said it is normal but it's not ever talked about he said that when you have a baby your body produces oxytocin and when you smell that baby and feed that baby you get that oxytocin kick and after you've had a miscarriage, your body craves that oxytocin because it doesn't have anywhere to get it from. So some people find it in being intimate. Some people find it in hugging their children or other, siblings, you know, other people. And some people, the only thing that will quell that is having another baby. And he's like, you won't, you know, that's something that you have to decide, not now, but at a later date, you can decide whether that's what you need to give your body what it wanted. I'm like, I actually, you know, I really appreciated that because I was sitting there going, I am mental. Like, how do I feel like this? I've just lost a baby. And how do I feel like this? And to know that that's normal and, and like a chemical craving in your body was something that was so helpful to me because I was like, you know, and I literally don't think I let go of Phil for two days after, probably actually more than two days after that. And mum and dad took the kids still, and they went to school and we just chilled out at home. We watched movies, we cuddled and kissed, we slept, you know, and, but I, I literally didn't want to be away from him for a minute after. And the kids, whenever the kids were around, I was like, I wanted to touch them and hug them and smell them and, you know, all of that afterwards. And it's just really interesting that people don't talk about that. Another thing people don't talk about, like, you know, the, those feelings that you have inside afterwards. But like at the same time, I really did think I was going mental. And when he said that, I was like, OK, there's an explanation for it. It's OK to feel like this. And I just let myself feel like that then, you know, like I knew I was like, Phil, you're in for it. But Phil is so affectionate to me all the time. He's always so kissy and cuddly and like, you know, wants to hold my hand and wants to. And sometimes I'm like, you know, like, but. And he, he was like, now I know what it feels like to be you. <laughs> and then the uh, middle grievance midwife came, or bereavement midwife, I don't know if I'm saying that right. She gave us Rosie's blanket that she had in her little box. And she gave us her handprints and her feet prints that she'd done up for us. Um, and, you know, I asked her, like, what we should do about the kids. I was like... 
you know, I just I kind of felt a bit lost about like what do we do with that? You know, what do we how do we do it? Is there things we should look out for or, you know, will they be OK? And she was like, if you talk honest and openly about it, the kids will see you. She's like, don't hide if you're crying. If you're crying, you cry and you say, I'm sad because Rosie's gone. You know, and that's, she's like, that's how you teach the kids to grieve. I was like, okay, great. And she gave us two teddy bears for them, Felicon teddy bears, and gave us all the support information and, you know, the social worker and every, everything else that goes with it. Like, went home with a bag of stuff for, you know, to, it's like a little care package almost leaving. Um, and, you know, I got into the car and I was like, there's no feckin' way I'm giving those teddies to the kids. Like, <laughs> you know, the two of us were like, there's no feckin' way because they'll just, you know, like, that'll be worse. Anyway, we got home and my mum and dad had the kids. They stayed for a sleepover and hit a ball, as always. And we got home and uh, the kids came home. And like the first thing I did after saying we're not giving them to the kids, the kids walked in. I'm like, we got teddies for you from Rosie. <laughs> and they were like, oh, and I was like, these are Rosie bears. Like, you know, that's what you, you, you guys can keep these and they're your teddies from Rosie. And they were like, they haven't given up the teddy bears. They still hug the teddy bears every night. Like one of their tail went missing straight away. Riley twisted the tail off. And he was like, now I know this one is my one because it's got no idea. So, um, and they've got little butterflies, you know, the phalicone butterfly on them and stuff. But they were like, you know, for, for me going, there's no fucking way we're giving them to them to be such a comfort for them. Everybody talked about her with me. Nobody was weird. And I think that's, that really helped because that's a dif that's difficult for me. If I talk to somebody every day and then you talk to somebody about, like if you say I've had a miscarriage and people go, oh Jesus, you know, like what are you saying that for? Or, you know, they're orphaned. I kind of, I just like, sometimes I'm just like, yeah, well, you know, it may be awkward for you, but imagine how awkward it was for me. You know, I kind of, that kind of, but everybody means the best. They mean the best. And sometimes people say, well, at least you have the boys. And I'm like, um, but I had another baby and she's dead. You know, it's not, nobody means to upset you or trigger you but they sometimes do. And I think learning to cope with that for me was a big part of it. And I think going into it, knowing that nobody means to upset you is a huge thing. Well, for me anyway, it was a huge thing. Um, my mum got me a crystal to hang in the window and I have rainbows all over the house, like all over the house. And, you know, like my friends got me a star called baby Rosie Davis. And that for the kids has been the best present because it's tangible for them. They look to the sky and they see the star. So it's like, a, you know, you get like a certificate to say that it's called baby Rosie Davis and it gives you the location. You go onto Google or Google Earth and you can look up the star and she's in the Andromeda galaxy and stuff like that. So every, like even I was just saying that to my mom tonight, like every night we drive home in the car, it's dark now because it's winter. And they're like, is that baby Rosie star? No, nah, that's not bright enough. That's not the brightest star in the sky. That one's baby Rosie star. You know, it's a talk them every single day that they see stars. It's like sometimes they're driving home, there's no stars. And they're like, she must be behind the cloud. 
yeah, she's behind the cloud. Do you know, it's such a lovely thing. But they talk about her all the time. You know, and that's kind of on the days that I feel that I don't want to talk about her. That's helpful because they make me still talk about her. Things that I've found healing for me. Um, I focused on healing my body the week after. I was kind of like, I need to do something to try. I need to be in control. I know, like as always, <laughs> I need to get some sort of feel like I'm doing something to help myself. So I went for craniosacral therapy. Um with a girl in Greystones, Jill Collins. Um, she's brilliant. And, you know, so caring and lovely nurturing. It's such a gentle treatment as well because I don't think I would have been ready for anything else. I went for acupuncture and my acupuncturist, as like we were saying earlier on, you know, I got the works. It was like I got a back massage and my lung point for grief. I got acupuncture. I got moxa. I came out feeling as high as a kite. You know, I felt so chilled out and relaxed and, you know, I went in feeling so shit and so sad and awful. And I left leave like I left on a cloud. And I'm trying to think what other things really helped me. Just talking. Talking has helped me so much. Counseling has helped me so much. I go once a week and last week I went twice because I was like, I did. You know, I think after the postmortem, it hit me a bit more because like there was such a big, so they said probably four weeks until the postmortem results came back, but it was actually eight weeks in the end until they came back. And that's through no fault of anyone. It's just that the labs are overrun with, COVID, you know, like testing for COVID and stuff like that. So um, when we went in for the postmortem. Do you want to hear about that or not? As long as you're comfortable. Yeah. So we went in for the postmortem. Um, on the Wednesday and when she was born the cord was wrapped around her neck so they said that that may have been something because we had the harmony test and it was perfect they didn't you know they didn't think it was anything chromosomal or anything like that um so she was perfect and my placenta was perfect and everything else was you know he was like you don't you have never have pavovirus you've never had toxoplasmia you know they did so many tests on me and on her and tissue samples you know they checked everything like it's so so thorough it's pages and pages long um and yeah so they found that the cord was much longer than normal and she just wrapped herself up in it and you know like I said is there anything that I is there anything that we could have done to I've stopped that. And he was like, no, if you'd have been on bed rest, baby still moves. You know, it's just, it's really unfortunate and it's really unlucky. And that's kind of, you know, in one way it's nice to know that she was perfect and there was nothing wrong with the placenta, but in another way, it's a little bit more upsetting because she was perfect. Um, but yeah, he's like, it's such a low percentage of times that happens and there's no reason why the cord is longer one time than another time and he said like I think 82% of babies are born with some sort of cord you know the cord around their body or around their neck once or around their arm or something so obviously she didn't die from strangulation because you don't breathe you know you can't breathe in utero um so they found little compressions on her neck so the cord had been compressed and the blood flow stopped going. So she never knew any pain or, you know, she just slipped away. And that's probably, that, that was a very comforting thing to know as well. So, uh, yeah, so that's, 
she was very loved and she always will be. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 